Father, as we come now into these moments where we open your word, open our hearts to hear from you, that we would hear your voice speaking truth into our questions, into our cynicism and doubts. Father, break through resistance today, that our hearts would be open, that you would transform us today into the image of your son, Jesus, that we would go out into a world that desperately is craving and longing for hope and purpose, that you would do that work in our lives so that we could go out and bring that message of you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you say that you are a, a control freak? Or maybe you know somebody like in your orbit of life that's like a control freak. Now, if you just reached over to somebody else next to you and grabbed their arm and lifted up, like you might have control issues. You know, like it was a couple of weeks ago, Lisa was doing some housework and she was vacuuming. And I went back there and I was like, like, what's wrong with you? I'm looking like the vacuum lines have to be like perfectly straight. I'm like, you're a control freak. She's like, hey, buddy, wait. You might want to just relax before you like evaluate yourself. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, what about the front yard? How about this? Who else like has to have the perfect, you know, like the, uh, the lawnmower? Like nobody else is mowing my yard because they're going to, I got it perfectly. I got to have control over it. How about this one, man? Have you ever been in a car and you're in the passenger seat, but you're not like they're not driving the way you want to. And so maybe you reach over and get the wheel. Like, and you start to, ah, uh, uh, control. How about this one? We battle with this sometimes, the remote control. It's like in the word of the actual thing. It's like, the, it's not that, like, what's on now, but it's like, what might come on, and I've got to be, oh, i got to know, i gotta, I got to be in control. We make light and we joke around about the issue of control, but at the heart of the matter, there's a deep spiritual thing that we all struggle with in our lives at times, and it's, an issue of control. It goes back to our very first parents in the Garden of Eden. And it would sit the, the bottom line is that we have this, this thing inside of us that wants to be our own authority. Today we are wrapping up a series that we've been in, in the last couple of weeks. And if you missed the last two sermons, I invite you to go back and check out Pastor Tim and John's messages. This series is Lies We Believe in the Truth That Will Set Us Free. And this morning, the, the statement, the myth, the lie we're going to look at is this statement that says, I don't need God or his church. Maybe you've heard someone say that. And this morning, I want to break this into two parts. And we're going to look at I don't need God. And then in a couple of weeks, if you'll come back, we're going to look at the, the church and how we fit into that and the, the joy of that. But this morning, I don't need God. It's something that we struggle with. Maybe you haven't said that like verbally. Like, I, I wouldn't say that. But somehow in all of our lives, there's a, we have this thing that's in our mind, a tug of war, a struggle with our human flesh that goes way back. That just says, I don't want to live under the authority of somebody. I want to not depend on anybody. I can, I've got this myself. I don't need God. And what was the first struggle of our first parents? It was to, to become like God. As the, the enemy, the devil whispered, like, you don't need him. You, you need me. Or better yet, you need to trust in yourself. It's this age-old 
struggle inside of us that I'll decide. You know, in the beginning, it says that God created us in his image. But then we said, you know, God, I'm going to do you a favor and I'm going to create you in my image. I mean, how, how many times have we done that? We manipulate our image of God to fit our deal or our lifestyle. I mean, I talk to people and some people create them to be a very permissive God. You know, they take the Bible and they're like, ah, it's like Pastor Tim preached about the, the Bible. They cut out portions and they just turn God into, it's like, I, he's okay with what my deal is, so I don't have to feel guilt about all of that. But other people turn God into like a very punishing God. Like there's people like, I can never please him. He's mad at me. He's going to spite me, like angry. And, and so we get these misconcepts of, of God and we say, say, you know, I don't need God. So inside of us, we have this internal struggle that we battle with. We struggle living under our control versus living under God's authority. The word authority is a beautiful, beautiful word. Now, how many times have you heard that statement in this culture we live in? I mean, like you don't really do. The, the word authority, why do people despise authority so much. It's like we don't want to, I don't want to come under the submission of, of someone else. It's like the, the mindset of our world we live in. Isaiah captured it back in, in chapter 5 of his book when he said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. I mean, you've, you've seen this, people that are calling the good evil and evil good, who put bitter for sweet and sweet Bitter. It's like what Paul was talking about, the state of the world we live in when he said this to believers, so that you may become blameless and pure, Philippians chapter 2, children of God without fault and where? In a warped and a crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul was saying, be on guard, you live, and you see this, we live in a crooked and a twisted and a warped generation. A twisted generation that says, it takes a word and a concept and a principle, a spiritual concept of authority and twist it and say, you don't want to live under someone's authority. You want to do your own thing and be your, your own God. I don't need God. A twisted generation that has twisted up what it means to live under his authority. I remember when I was a teenager growing up and going to church and learning more about the Lord, I was getting excited, like, hey, this Christianity is cool. I got the, like, eternal life in heaven. The only thing is, like, this. Like, I got to do all this. I'm like, I got to be under all of this. I have to be. And so at the time, I didn't get it. Maybe you were like that. I didn't get it. That the good news is that I discovered after so many years of like rebellion and heartache and doing my own stuff and, and just trying to live it out the way I thought. And I finally came to understand by the grace of God this incredible good news that I get to live under the provision and the protection and the authority of my Father who loves me. It's like, I don't have to do all this. I get to live under his provision and his protection. It's a better way of life. That's what my professor in seminary, Jeff Gibbs, 
calls it a gracious authority. Several weeks ago, I officiated a wedding up near Denton. And the night before, we had the rehearsal dinner, and I was there at the table with the family, and then right across from me was the dad of the bride. And we were talking, you know, stories, and he's like, let me tell you about my daughter. He said, she came to us when she was 15 years old. We, she was in foster care, and we adopted her. And when she first showed up, it was mayhem. It was like there was no discipline. She was like, we were, oh. It was like she would do the opposite of what we wanted. The schools call it. And finally we sat down and we said, hey, we love you. But if you're going to live here, you're going to have to come under our authority. You know, I know you haven't had the best examples of authority in your life, but we want to show you something different. And he, he told me, he said, my goal is what I told her was I want to be the best most loving dad, the best example of what godly authority looks like, that when you turn 18 years old, you're going to say, thank you. Thank you that I got to live under your provision and your protection and under your authority, your authority. And that's what your gracious God is saying to you. I didn't come to, to thumb you down and to oppress you. I've come to give you freedom as you live under my godly authority. But we we run away from that, and we, we get confused, and we, we get, ah, I, I don't need you. God, so we're going to look into the text of Scripture today and learn about Christ calling us to live under his incredible authority. In Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we're in the New Testament, and you're going to see the theme of these two chapters all about the authority of Christ and here we are, as we pick it up in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is out, and he's teaching, and he's been with his disciples. And if you remember the story, they get into a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the waves are, are huge, and the wind's blowing. And they're on the boat, they're thinking, they're freaking out, it's going to capsize, they're terrified. And Jesus, what does he do? He steps up and goes, stop! And the winds and the waves listen to him, and they, they cease what they're doing, they stop and listen to what it says in 8.27, it says the men that were with them, they were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? What kind of person is this with this kind of a authority? They get to the shore and they, the next section there, they go into a town and they encounter some demon-possessed men. Remember the story? These demon-possessed guys, they were terrifying everybody. The town was, was all scared. Jesus walks up to them. What happened? Even the, the demons were scared of him. They're terrified. They're saying, Lord, cast us out of here. You do something. And Jesus, what did he do? He cast these demons into a herd like this, all these pigs that were there. Like, can you imagine? It'd be cool to be at the scene. These pigs, they start they're going crazy. With, and they just run down this steep embankment and into the water, and they all drown. Like people are like, whoa. How did the people react? Listen to what happened. It says the whole town went out to meet Jesus after this happened. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. They didn't understand this. Who is this man? He, he controls the winds. He's just telling demons. And they, wow, this authority that he has. Then we get to chapter 9. And we heard in our gospel reading just a moment ago this story where Jesus shows up on the scene. These people bring a paralyzed man to him. Jesus goes over, and what does he do? How does he 
interact. He, he looks at the, the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? The religious leaders, the people like, what? He can't say that. Like, what's he doing? He can't say your sins are forgiven. And she said, wait, wait, wait. What's easier for me to do? To say your sins are forgiven? Arise, take up your bed and walk. And so that's what he did. To show his authority and his power, he said to the young man, I want you to get up and take your mat. And here's a man that was paralyzed for a long time. Everybody knew him in the community. Like here's old Joe on the ground. He can't, he can't move around. And Jesus says, take up your bed. And the dude gets up and he leaves. He walks and people are like, what? Listen to what? It says in Matthew 9, 8, that when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given authority to such a man, to such man as this Jesus. So he's got the power over the winds, the waves. He's got the power over the demons. He's got the power over the sickness. And then we move right on to this next verse that I want us to take a look at. In Matthew chapter 9, it says this, And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Have you ever looked at this verse the calling of Matthew in the context of what's going on in this whole story. You know, I used to, I, Jesus, he's, he just walks up to this guy and, and, and just says, follow me. And he gets up and he goes. And I used to think to myself, what, how does this, like, because I would jump right into this right here. Like, I think Matthew, here's a guy that he had a life, you know, like, he just left it. Like, he had a career, like, in finances and like tax and like, yeah, make people despise him, but like he was skimming off the top. He had this thing going, and so he had a life. And so he's just going to walk away from it. What would lead him to do this? Matthew had heard the stories, I'm sure, in the community. He had heard about Jesus being out there. Maybe he was even on the side of the shore when the, when the storm was blowing, and he was with all the people, and they're looking out at the boat, and they're like, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. That, oh man, this isn't going to end well for these guys. And then Jesus like, stop. And like, Matthew, he's seeing this and he's like, wow. And so he's at the tax collector's booth and then here comes Jesus. And so into this context of what Matthew would have seen about this man, Jesus, and his authority, he walks up and Jesus says, follow me. You think that this was really a, a have-to moment for Matthew? I don't think so. I think he was like, wow, this man with all this authority is asking me to follow him. I get to, I get to go. I mean, here's a guy that just, he has control over all the weather. What do I have to be afraid of with him? So what does it say? It says Matthew, what does he do? He says he rose and he followed Jesus. I wonder if you and I would have done the same thing. We might have sat there. Like uh, Matthew could have been like, you know, Jesus, uh, I appreciate that invitation there, but I'm going to just sit here for a little while. Like you go on. I got to think this through. You know, I got to like, I got to ponder this, all the, the costs. I, I, the, I got these doubts. Like what? What am I going to tell people? Like you go on. I'll catch up with you later. No, Matthew in this moment, he's like, wow, the man of authority is, is calling me into a brand new life. And Matthew got up, and it says that he followed him. Not with just his head knowledge, he followed him with his life. 
said, I want you to come under my gracious authority. I'm not here to, to, to squash you down. I'm here to bring you freedom. And as you follow me, come under my gracious authority and walk with me. Not just a head knowledge, but with your life. Years ago, there was a young man who grew up in the Midwest in a, a little church up there. And this little boy had a knack for acting. Like every time there was a part in a play at the church, like a Daniel, you know, like David, Peter, he was always the, the play. And he was a talented kid. He would go to, to the school. He started getting better in like Oklahoma. He's like the lead guy. College. He ends up going out to Hollywood and making movies and becoming a famous guy. But back he never forgot his home church, Pastor Olsen, who had spoken into his faith and helped him along the way. One day, this town was so, they were so glad that this man, had, the actor, had gone on to do this stuff. They invited him to come back. They're like, we're going to dedicate this park to you, man. We're going to do a ceremony. So the guy flew back from California. He's there, and there's going to be a celebration. Opening off the celebration, they asked Pastor Olsen to come up and say a few words. By this time, he was older now. He's like in his late 80s, and he didn't have like the fluidity. Like he, he didn't have the words like he used to, and he was chopping and, uh, and searching, and he was, but everybody just loved him, and he got up, and he got his way through, and, and then he sat down, and they invited the actor up. Man, this guy looked sharp. He had the look, the jawline. He had the voice. He got up, and he said, I'm going to share with you the 23rd Psalm, and he wrote, he, he just launched in the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside, and he goes through the whole thing from memory. It was incredible. He had the crowd right here. Everybody start clapping when he's done. He's about to walk off, and he goes back to the podium, shaking his head. He goes, you know what? Guys, he was, as I was here today, and I saw Pastor, Pastor Olson. He did something in my heart. It reminded me of the faith of my childhood. And, and he said, you know what? I learned today. He says, me, the actor, he says, I can say, the Lord is my shepherd. But Pastor Olson, he says, the Lord, I know the good shepherd. Pastor Olson, he knew the good shepherd. He didn't just know about him. He lived his life, and, and he was an example. And, and so the man was touched. And so today I ask you, do you know the good shepherd? Do you know him more than just a few verses, a few facts? Are, do you, are you in a living relationship where you come under his authority and you say, Lord, I don't get it all the time. I have my doubts, but I need you. I need you, God. The truth and the good news that we have today is that before we ever even knew that we needed him is that he gave his life for us. Back when we despised Jesus and we said, I don't need you, Christ. I don't need you. I don't want you. Get away. Like we nailed him to a cross. We spit on him and we hung Jesus, an innocent man between where? Between two criminals, two thieves. If you remember the story, there was two criminals and this one thief on this side. He saw Jesus and he mocked him. He said, well, if you're really the Christ, save yourself and us too. And he was mocking him. And his, he was so filled with anger. On the other side, there was a man who, and I believe in this moment, the Holy Spirit was moving in his life. And he knew his time was limited. And he was about to, to die. And he yells out to the other thief on the other side. And he said, 
to him, we are punished justly, and we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into where? Into your kingdom. Why would he say that? The word kingdom. Why would he say this? It's because he saw the kingship, the lordship, the authority of Christ in this moment. And he said, I want to be a, a part of this. And so in this moment, he surrenders himself in his pride. And he said, Jesus, I want to be with you. And how did Jesus respond? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Here we are at the scene of the cross. We got two criminals. We got two different attitudes. We got on one side pride. On the side, we got surrender. Two different outcomes that day, and one went with Jesus to paradise. He said, I surrender, Lord. If you've ever known anybody in recovery in a program, uh, the first thing that has to happen if you're going to get healing and move on is to what? Is to admit that you have a need, to say, I've got a problem. I need something. I need help. I need forgiveness. I need a power. I need God. It's power bigger than what I can do on my own. When you come into the family of Christ, he forgives your sins by grace through faith alone. Nothing you can do. But then he puts his power inside of you. He's put it inside of you and me to do more and to live freer and more effectively than we ever could imagine. His power is in you. In the Olympics, there's an event called the high jump. You know it? It's incredible, man. These guys, they're so, these athletes, they can jump up to eight feet with just their own power. They run full speed, ah, and then they just like hurl themselves in their own power at eight feet. It's pretty impressive. There's another event. It's called the pole vault. I love the pole vault. You get the pole, you run down there full speed, you hit it in the box, and you give it the, ah, and then you are propelled by something that's outside of yourself even higher. They go 18 feet. In Christ, you've got a power inside of you as his child. And he said, I'm going to propel you to do things that you never even thought you could do in your own weakness. I'm going to fill you with my strength and I'm going to allow you to love that person that you thought you could never love. I'm going to help you live a controlled life that when you just want to lose it, I'm going to help you live pure when you normally would live in immorality. He is working inside of you. His spirit is alive and he's propelling you. And as you lean into him and you surrender, he's propelling you higher and higher to do more than you could ever imagine. Through his grace. Oh Lord, I need you. He's calling you today. Will you answer him? I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things as we wrap this up. And the first one is to trust him. Say, Lord, I don't have all the answers. I've got doubts. He says, trust me. Secondly, receive his forgiveness by faith. Receive when we're coming to the table of the Lord today, the sacrament. And he says, I'm offering you my forgiveness. Come and receive and receive new life. And then go and live in his peace and his power. And go. And live under the provision and the protection of your Heavenly Father who loves you so much. A gracious, 
authority. Oh God, I really do 